All right, so we are back in Jonah. We are back in Jonah. Uh, no surprise there. And we have finally reached our, our final chapter of the book of Jonah. So uh, kind of exciting. This is the final chapter. But it's, it's a little bit of a disappointment if we're looking at Jonah as a person. So this is probably the, the worst chapter if we're talking about Jonah's performance. Uh, it's, it's a little discouraging, actually, to look at, at how he comes away from, from God miraculously saving him, seeing the repentance of 120,000 uh, people, and yet it seems he, he hasn't understood grace. He hasn't understood his love. And here is our, our angsty prophet, once again, struggling with the grace of God. And so today we're going to talk about how God meets us when we are struggling in sin, when we are struggling in disobedience, uh, how does God approach us when we are struggling with his grace, when we are uh, running from him once again? Because we all know that, that we are still in our sin, that we are sinners when we are saved, we are sinners now. And we want to know, how does God actually meet us there? It's a really simple outline. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty simple story. It's a Kind of fun, but it's simple. So first we're going to talk about uh, how Jonah uh, disobeys the Lord. And how he, how he rejects him. How he runs from the grace of God. And then finally we're going to see how God pursues him in response. So let's, uh, let's jump into chapter 4 of Jonah. With the hope that we might see our, our gracious God once again. We might see how he kind of gently and graciously pursues his people. So let's, let's read Jonah 4. All right, uh, and just to give some context, God saw the repentance of the Ninevites, and this is Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord, Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But then dawn came up the next day. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God was appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. All right, so let's jump into this. First of all, we're going to see this odd response that Jonah has to the grace of God. So uh, the, the amazing happened last time we, we looked at Jonah. He finally got to Nineveh, told the people to repent, and it's the most amazing repentance in the whole Bible. 120,000 people, all of them fast from the king to the, to the lowest person. The cattle fast. The cattle put on sackcloth. This is, this is utter repentance. As, as good as, oh yeah, no, I didn't mean to do that. That was bad. Uh, uh, this is complete repentance. Whoops. Uh, all right, so yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Lots of repentance. Absurd amounts of repentance. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that, that, should be, that should be the response. This is, this is great. This is exciting. This is, it's fun to see the repentance of the people, the salvation of the people. And so it's so odd that in chapter 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, what do we do with that? Now, in the Hebrew, it could simply be translated just, it, it, but it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. That could be another translation. He sees the, the grace that God has given, and he sees it as evil. He accuses God of, of an error, of an evil, for being so gracious. And his prayer, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, first of all, I want us to notice what, how Jonah understands God here. We oftentimes get hung up with this whole problem that the God of the Old Testament is this wrathful, vengeful, scary God. But this is, this is Jonah's understanding of God, and this is his expectation. He expected God to be this kind of God. The slow to anger, gracious, merciful relenting in his punishment kind of God. He understood that God. That, that was actually God's description of himself uh, way back in Exodus. That Moses asked, he asked, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And so God reveals himself to Moses. He lets him see just the back. Because if he sees his face, he'll die. And in that that little interaction, God says this, that he is the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, full of steadfast love. That that is his nature. And the rest of the Bible, the Old, the Old Testament, picks up on that. And it keeps using that phrase over and over as kind of a title for God. So I want to make sure that, that we have that understanding of the Old Testament God. That we didn't try to sneak in a, a better God with Jesus. This is the God that has been around for the whole time. And the problem wasn't that, that Jonah didn't know about that kind of God. That he didn't expect it to be. No, he knew. He just didn't like it. And he knew about that God. And he didn't want to reflect the nature of that God. And he didn't want other people to benefit 
from a God who is so gracious and relenting and, and, and kind even. And so he has this, this weird, hot-headed, kind of whiny response. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, I don't, I don't really know what to do with this. Because it's ridiculous. We've talked about how, how Jonah is an absurd book. That's the name of our series, the absurdity of it all. And we try to think about, well, why, would Jonah, why would Jonah want to die rather than see the Ninevites saved? And I struggle with that because I, I don't get it. It might be that, that I just don't really have enemies like that. So you can't connect with it. Like, but maybe, maybe you have those kind of enemies. Maybe you have been wronged so deeply that, that you'd be angry if God brought certain people to repentance, if he saved certain people. That you, you couldn't fathom it, you'd be angry with God. It would be, it'd be an absurd response, but it'd be more understandable. So that's hard, that's hard for maybe some of you to connect with. I think we can connect with a more general aspect of this feeling that Jonah has that sometimes we get angry with God. That we don't understand what he's doing and we can get kind of pouty. We can get angsty. We can get whiny with God. And that he does certain things that we don't like and we, we doubt him. We question him and we... We kind of rebel against him in a way. We can get this kind of irrational anger. We have those, uh, when, when do you see that? I think I most often see that in just like the side comments. We get those like bitter like, thanks, thanks a lot, God. This is just what I needed. Or when we say things like, oh, God, God would give me that. He would make it like that. When we get God kind of the, the Murphy's Law kind of God, that if he's going to give us something bad, he'll do it. And with, with Jonah, we have, to, we have to see that this is a, a profound evil, a difficult evil, because we're questioning the nature of our God. That he says he is gracious, he is merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love, he is slow to anger that he does things for a reason. And that if he's doing it, it is, it is for our good. And it is out of his love that he has not abandoned us. And that's why it's so strange for, for Jonah to have this tantrum that he does. And why as much as we, we feel justified in doing it and, and kind of like warring against God sometimes, it is absurd and then, then Jonah goes on. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would happen to the city. All right, what is, what is he doing? All right, so he's going to the desert, building a tent, and he's going to sit there, angry, staring at this city. And what is he hoping for? He's hoping that it goes up in flames. He's hoping for a bonfire, right? He's hoping for fireworks to go off, for, for hellfire to rain down. This is, this is the pouty teenager sitting in the room 
like playing loud music. This is the, the angry prophet against God. We have those moments. We have those angsty moments with God. Where we don't like what he's doing, where we kind of shut ourselves off from him, where we, we stop reading our Bibles and stop praying and, and we, we ignore him. And so that's why we're talking about today. What does God do in that situation? Well, first of all, I want to see the contrast here. So we've said throughout Jonah that, that Jonah is this Christ type. That he's supposed to point forward to Jesus. Now, in, in every single Christ type, everything that points to Jesus, it's imperfect. This is Jonah's imperfect side, not his pointing to Jesus side. Because we've seen Jesus actually, Jesus has done this same thing. Where he stands outside of the city and, and looks at the city from afar. He does that, that twice in the book of Luke where he's looking at the city of Jerusalem. This city that has rebelled against the Lord, who has abandoned its Savior, refused to accept him. And how does he respond? Is he kind of gleefully waiting for judgment to come? Now, th this is what he says. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing but you were unwilling. He longs to, to gather them in, but they will not come. And he says, if only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. And we wonder, what, what kind of sense does he say that? Does he say that with like a, a bitter tone? Does he say that with an angry tone? No, he's, he's weeping. There are tears in his eyes. He is he's crying out, to this city, begging them to be saved. That is our better prophet. That is our better Jonah that he longs for the people to be saved. Jesus doesn't, doesn't wait for judgment with, with glee or with excitement. He is mourning for these people and not mourning for not mourning for himself. Not mourning for the collective society or for the city or for the state. He's mourning for the people, for the rebellious people who will not receive him. He is mourning for their souls. Which leaves us in, in a bit of a lurch. How do we respond to the world? Do we look more like Jonah or more like Jesus? More like Jonah or more like Jesus? So when we face the evils of this world, are we looking at it with mourning and with sorrow? Or are we kind of staking out our spot and, and waiting for judgment to come to the world? Are we ready to, to go into the city that is going to judge? Or are we holding back? Are we holistically, as, as a church, ready to, to jump into the community and and offer it grace, or are we waiting for judgment to come? That's where Jesus, Jesus knew that this city was going to kill him. He knew that they, they hated him. He knew that judgment was going to come. And he doesn't stand on the outskirts. He, he goes into the city. He goes into the city that's going to be judged. 
and he takes the judgment for them. That anyone who would receive him, they are now able to be, to be gathered under his wings. That they are able to find that peace that they could not find. That is our Savior. That is Jesus, the better Jonah. Thankfully, that is, that is our better Savior. And it calls us to, to do the same. To the hard reality that, that we cannot stand off from our community. We cannot be superior to them. We are no better. That we are, we are called to go. To go in and to, to embody Christ and the grace of God. Not to embody a spirit of judgment, but this, this spirit of grace and mercy and steadfast love and relenting from judgment. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that, that we do get angry with God? That we do pull away from him, that we throw tantrums, we don't understand what he's doing. Thankfully, it's, it's not totally up to us. And that's what we see here, that Jonah didn't want to, to learn, but the, the Lord drew him and the Lord taught him. So let's, let's see how he does that. How does he deal with Jonah? First of all, what does he not do? He doesn't do what Jonah would want, and he doesn't do what Jonah would deserve. So what does Jonah want? Jonah wants for God just to kill him. Oddly enough, and God would be justified to do so. That these are, these are sins deserving of, of judgment like anything else. And he could have done that. And if I were God, I, it would be hard to resist that this guy is saying, just, just kill me. I, you're so gracious and merciful. Uh, I, I would probably smite him. But <laughs> thankfully, thankfully God is, God is not me. Uh, and, and he doesn't do that. He's true to his character. He says that he is gracious and merciful and, and steadfastly loving. And so he is that. And so what does he do instead of killing him? Look at verse 4. He, he just asks a question. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? It's basically saying, is your, is your anger good? Is it good anger? Just, he just leaves it there. That is just a, a gracious God offering a simple rebuke. A gentle rebuke. And sometimes those are all we need. That we need those questions. And we need to have the time to, to sit and think about those questions. And I'd ask you this, maybe this week to think about this. Um, what are the questions that God is putting on your heart? What is he asking you? Maybe he could ask you, is, is your anger good? that you are bitter or resentful towards God, is your anger good? Maybe if you're, you're resentful for what God has given you, he would ask, what do you deserve? What do you deserve? Or if you think that you're, you're superior to people, you're struggling with judging them, maybe he would ask you, what, how have I treated you? How have I treated you? 
And these are, these are the kind of questions that, that are better than preaching. These are questions that are better than preaching. And it's easier to preach. Because then, then we can kind of stay removed from people if we, if we preach at them a bunch of truth. But if we ask them those kind of questions, we might, it's scary what might come up. And if we ask ourselves those kind of questions, it's scary what our real answers might be. But that is the Lord searching our heart. He's, he's showing us what our sin is. He's challenging us. And that's where Jesus can often surprise us. That's how Jesus most often deals with people. That when I first read about Jesus, I, I had an understanding. I grew up in the church, but I'd always thought that Jesus like just walked around telling people the gospel. Like, Jesus loves you, and I, I'm going to die for you, and so just believe in me, and you'll be okay. Like, he doesn't do that, actually. What does he go around doing? He mostly goes around asking questions. Pretty brutal questions. Things like, why are you afraid? Who do you say that I am? Where is your faith? Do you love me? That, that is our Savior. That is how he dealt with people. That is often what he did. He didn't, he didn't just go along with big monologues. He asked these questions and, and forced his people to consider them. Are you really good? Those kinds of things. And so, I think if we're going to grow in grace, we need to take the time to, to think through these kind of questions. To think through things like, why am I doing what I'm doing? What do I really believe? Which is, is really hard. And we need to be people who are willing to ask those questions of one another. When's the last time you've been asked a question like that? Like, what, what do you really believe? What, what are you afraid of? What are you really trusting in? Those are the kind of things that are going to help us grow in grace, that are going to keep us from, from falling back again. All right. So I would challenge us to, to think through these questions. What are the questions that God would place in your heart? All right, think about that. All right, uh, thankfully that's not all that God does. Because some of us aren't that introspective, or some of us just aren't that ready to hear from God. And so he, he makes it a little clearer for, for people like Jonah, who is uh, people like us, who are more stubborn. And so he actually gives us object lessons. Sometimes he has to force us to, to see these things. And so he works through daily life. Verse 6. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God sends this plant to him to, to give him shade. Uh, now jump back to the Hebrew again. There's a sort of double meaning here. So if you look at that phrase, to save him from his discomfort, it actually could be translated just simply to save him from his evil. It's kind of vague. And that's where actually this, this whole chapter is poetic. It kind of uses 
good and bad in a bunch of different ways. It's forcing us to, to think about like what, what is good, what is bad? What is worth being angry about? How would we even know good or evil? And so, yes, it could be translated, as they did here, that he's being saved from his discomfort. But in a more general sense, it's that God is using this plant to save him from his evil. That he's using it to, to soften his heart. To save him from his, his struggles with sin. And then he, he goes to work through this plant, verse 7. When the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> oh, the sovereign God. This is, this is who we're dealing with. Uh, he is using all of this stuff in life. He's orchestrating the world to teach us about himself. And so he, he appoints a worm to eat the plant. My favorite is, is VBSs. They like give a name to the worm and they call, him, they call him Carl the worm and he like sings a little song about being appointed by God to eat the plant. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun, but... It's hitting at the point that, like, God is really sovereign over all this stuff. That he is working in all of our lives, even in the weirdest, most mundane little things. And next, he doesn't just send the worm. He sends the sun and the wind to beat down upon Jonah. And then God goes back to his questioning. This is a, this is a slow, intimate process. God could have come down like, like he came down to, to Job and just said, who are you, Jonah? I, I get to do what I want. No, he, he, he eases him through this. This is a gracious God teaching one of his sons. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah was set up by God. And he fell, fell right into the trap. This, this was all orchestrated so Jonah would see, see himself clearly. That he pitied this plant. That he was, he was emotionally attached to this plant because it, ultimately, because it was selfishly, it benefited him. But he was able to, to emotionally connect with something perishing. God puts him in, in sort of in the place of God that he could see the perspective and then he, he reverses it on him. That Jonah pitied the plant, he did not pity the 120,000 Ninevites who were perishing. And when we think about this from God's perspective, God ordained each and every life, every birth of these people. And he sustained them second by second with every breath. 
making sure they were fed and, and survived to hear the repentance that Jonah was bringing. And, and God knew them by name. He knew every hair on their head. God cares for his people. He cares for the lost. He longs to bring them in. He longs to, to bring him under his wing. And then he, then he also cares for the cattle. This is the, the funniest ending. And also much cattle. Why do we have that part thrown in there? It's the most awkward ending to a story ever. Uh, I think it's just trying to show the, the absurdity of God's grace. The absurdity of his grace. That Jonah didn't even care about the people, but God even cared about the cattle. He cared about the cows. That is the extent of his grace. That's the extent of his love. He's just trying to blow them out of the water. God is teaching the one that he loves to, to know him as the God of steadfast love, of grace and mercy, slow to anger. And he's using all of life to do that. And that's where Jesus, Jesus does that same thing. Right? He just walks around town and teaches people through the, the life that is around him. That a tower has fallen and he teaches the people that they, say they should repent. Or he, he meets a woman who is thirsty and teaches her that, that there is spiritual life, that he is, is the living water. They, they meet a man born blind and he, he shows the people that he has kind of true spiritual vision that he can help people see. This is, this is the God that we're dealing with. And so as, as the children of God, we're called to be receptive to this stuff. That our lives are just not like a, a meaningless dribble of, of events. That God is walking us through a path to understand him more. To see him and to know him. And so I want you to think about what questions God is asking you, but also what events in, in your life is he using to to teach you about himself? What are those object lessons that he is using? That he's using to, to help know him? Now, mine is pretty easy, obviously. He was born a, a week and three days ago. That is my object lesson. And it, is, it has been a, an overwhelming experience to, to get to know God as Father a little bit more. And to... To see the love that God must have for us as his children. The overwhelming love. And, and the fact that... So I'm caring for Remy. And everything that's good for him, he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want his diaper changed. He doesn't want to take his vitamin D droplets. Thanks a lot, Justin. He does, he's not a big fan. Uh, <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to go, he doesn't want to go to the doctor because they make him take off his pajamas and he's cold and he's miserable. But these are all good things that need to happen. These are essential things. And this is thankfully what I get to enforce upon him because he has no choice. This is, as he would see, just meaningless suffering, and yet I know it is me loving him. 
Now, that is clearly an object lesson, and this is God loving us. That he loves us even through the, the scariest things and the most difficult things, and that's probably because those things are what we truly need. We know that that's true. That God is teaching us about his love for, for his children. And he's doing that in, in countless ways, but ultimately... The only reason we can talk about God like this is because of Jesus Christ. That otherwise this would be really presumptuous to talk about God on this level. To say that he is merciful and gracious. He is only able to be merciful and gracious because of Jesus Christ. That his son did not receive that mercy and grace that he was crucified. And we're only able to say that, that God is slow to anger because he... He poured out all of that anger on Christ. That he is steadfast in his love because we are loved not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. That is why we can have this relationship with this God. That he can relent from disaster because he already poured it out on Christ. And that's where we, we have to see that we are truly the, the children of God. That in Christ, he loves us, he cares for us, he is, he is steadfastly working for us, that we may know him and love him and, and see him as our God. Now, what does that mean? That's, that's just exciting. That God is orchestrating all of life that we might see him as a loving, sovereign, gracious, merciful God who is slow to anger. I think we can feel bogged down like he's just, he's just burdening us with all this stuff. No, he's trying to help us see his love. To, to clear away all of this junk that we may see his love and grace. So let's be thankful for Jesus. And let's be thankful for this God who pursues us even when we are just as stupid as Jonah was. Let's be a, a joyful people. Let's worship in light of that.